Tonight we meet the Hittites. From Genesis 10:15, we find out that they're descendants of Ham and Canaan. And at one point in the middle of the second millennium BC, they had this huge empire that took up modern day Turkey. It went from the agency all the way to the Euphrates River and even as far south as Damascus. Now, even though that the Hittites had this huge empire based in a city called Hattusas, there were also many Neo-Hittite states that were formed and they were also, confusingly enough, referred to as Hittites. So, whenever Abraham purchases a burial site for Sarah from the Hittites, were they from this empire or were they a smaller Neo-Hittite state? Well, I guess it could be either, but the irony here is that even though Abraham was promised this land, he still had to purchase it from the Hittites. The empire of the Hittites fell around 1200 BC, and up until the 1800s, the Bible was the only source that mentioned them, so many people thought that they were made up, but since then, we found much archaeological evidence that this group existed and was at one point as powerful as Egypt. So, it turns out once again that the Bible is right and historically accurate. Who knew? So, there you go. A little bit about the Hittites, and that's enough today for our historical minute. Let us pray. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you just for the change in weather, the difference, Lord. It's in a way in Arizona gets us ready for, for Christmas. Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us that would send Jesus in the first place. The love that pursues us, the love that loves us more than just about anything else, Lord. That you would give up your son so that we could live. So that you give up your son so that you could save us. So for tonight, Lord, we thank you for those things as we prepare our hearts and minds for, for Christmas and your coming. So we pray this tonight in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So we're picking up in chapter 22. It's, I kind of led into it a little bit last week. It's the sacrifice of Isaac. And at first glance, this doesn't seem like it has much to do to, with Christmas, but my hope is by the end of today, tonight, you'll see that this is probably one of the cooler Christmas texts that you could possibly do. So we're going to pick up, and as we go through this story, especially the sacrifice of Isaac, I'm going to take several passes at it. And the first pass is really kind of describing the event. Um, but then I, I've got to go back and I've talked about a couple other things. So we begin in chapter 22, verse 1. Uh, just, I guess, as a preface to this, because I want to get your minds in the right place. Remember last week, I shared a story about a guy named Bill and his love for Robert, who was just almost a complete stranger, and the lengths of which he went just to love this guy. And I asked you during that time to think about who do you need to love more? And who is it that God has put on your heart to share Jesus with more, to share love more with? To, and as we go through this, I want you to keep that kind of as the backdrop because you'll see that God asks Abraham to love more than many of us could comprehend. If you couldn't love the way that Bill did, you'll be even more amazed by what Abraham was willing to do for his God. So we begin in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, here am I. Now, I want to point out one thing. It says God tested Abraham. Now, we talked a lot about the, the kind of, I guess, the role of evil in our world today. And I also want to say this, that God protects us probably the more than we could ever comprehend. But he does allow certain things to come into our life, difficult things, evil things. His promise during those evil things is that he promises to work all good for those who love him. Sometimes things come into our life as a consequence to sin, right? Sometimes they come into our life as a warning or to, to bring us back to him. Sometimes they come into our life as a test. 
And what does God test? He wants to see who we love the most. And so sometimes God offers us different opportunities in life to express our love to him in ways that are difficult. Hence the following narrative. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I will tell you. Now, at this time, Isaac is anywhere from his teens to 25 to 35 years old. You'll see that they took a couple young men on this trip, same word used for Isaac. Um, there was a... Isaac's mom died, which is at the end of this narrative, a little ways when he was 37. So we know somewhere in between when he was weaned and 37 years old is when this took place. Um, So Isaac wasn't necessarily, um, at least according to most scholars, a young man. He was probably more like, or, or, or a kid, he was more like a young man in his 20s, possibly even his 30s. And so keep that in mind too as we go through this narrative. And he says, and then hear the way that God says this. Almost every word is meant to make this difficult for Abraham. Take your son, and then he says, by the way, your only son. Remember, we've kicked Ishmael out, and and I'm taking care of him separately. But take Isaac, your son, your only son, whom you love, because I see that love. Maybe you love him too much. I don't know, but whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah, which was later the place where they would put the temple of the Lord. Just kind of as some backdrop to that. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I will tell you. Now, human sacrifice was part of a lot of the other cultures during that time. It was done to show love or sometimes to pay off the God or sometimes to manipulate the God in different ways. So it wasn't like they'd never heard of it before. God, though, had never commanded this. In fact, all the way through the rest of Scripture, he will condemn such actions powerfully. The God of Moloch was one that they would dedicate and, 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 and sacrifice their children to. God condemned that over and over and over. And Abraham, knowing the heart of God in many ways, would have been kind of confused by this at the very minimum. You said, Isaac is the son of blessing. You said, I'm going to have all these descendants, stars of the sky, sand of the sea, right? Through Isaac. I know you don't like murder. You got upset when Cain killed Abel. I just don't understand what's going on, God. But I want you to watch the response. Abraham is, 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 is known as um, the father of faith for so many different reasons. But all the way through this narrative, as we've been going through the story of Abraham, he always immediately obeys, even when he doesn't understand, even when he doesn't comprehend, even in this case where it would have seemed foreign or, or wrong to him. Next verse says, So Abraham rose early in the next morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. I want you to think about that for a second. Even though God had asked him to do something that didn't make sense, that seemed to contradict some of his promises, there was no question it was from God. There was no question about what he had asked. But Abraham loved and trusted and feared God so much that he said, okay. And he didn't wait a week and he didn't wait a month and he didn't wait two years trying to justify it. The next morning he got up and he got all the supplies and they took off. And he cut the wood for the burnt offerings and he arose and he went to the place for which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. 
So God asked him to do this most horrific thing. Abraham trusting, loving, honoring God said, okay. And then he had to journey for three days knowing what God had asked him to do. Knowing that this could be the last time he spent with his son Isaac. Knowing that he didn't understand fully what God was asking him to do. Three agonizing, two or two and a half agonizing days until they all of a sudden look up or they round this bend and they see Mount Moriah. It had to be killing him. Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. In Hebrews, we'll learn a little bit more about Abraham's state of mind. But somehow during those two and a half days, Abraham had wrestled with it to the point where he said, man, God doesn't ever lie. So those promises are still true. These promises are through Isaac. God's asked me to kill Isaac. (laughs) These promises are through Isaac. And so while he couldn't reconcile it, he knew that somehow, even if he had to raise Isaac from the dead, that God would honor those promises. Again, he trusted God implicitly. He knew that God loved him implicitly. So he prophetically shares with his young men, we're gonna go worship, and then I and the boy will return. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac and took his hand, or, or, and he took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. And so he went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So both of them went together. Again, Isaac, not a young man, or not a young boy, but a young man. Probably more powerful in many ways than his dad. He's carrying the wood, not dad. He could have resisted at any point, at least tried to fight off dad, took off probably faster than dad, okay? And he asked a question, probably having a sense of the answer because he knew in the areas around him, people did this kind of stuff. Dad, I think we're missing something, you know, as we're going forward. He says, God will provide. Again, if you get past the story and and entered in the heart that you get through Hebrews, Abraham actually trusted that God would provide. He either provide the ram, he provide a, a raising of the dead, he provide something in the midst of this because he knew that God couldn't lie and he knew that God loved him and he knew what God commanded. So they both of them went together. And when they came to the place which God had told them, Abraham built the altar and he laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. What's going on, Dad? (laughs) But here's the thing I want you to know about Isaac. He completely obeyed his dad. Even understanding what was taking place. Maybe Abraham explained what God had asked him to do. Maybe he tried to explain that God would somehow provide But Isaac completely obeyed. It's crazy. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. God, if you're going to intervene, please go hurry up. Hurry hurry up and intervene. And he raised his hand with the knife. But an angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. 
He said, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, that you love him most, that he is your foremost heart's desire, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in the thicket behind his, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name, of, name, the name of that place the Lord will provide. And then Moses adds an editorial note. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, he shall provide. What God was testing the whole time was, do you love me most? You know, as people read through scripture, it, it, I would say most of the biblical truths, most of the things God says are super simple. It's life that complicates the truth, isn't it? And life can get really complicated and Satan works with life and he can get you to think that up is down and down is up and right is left and all sorts of things. He's the master manipulator. But the truth of God is simple. And he says, trust me, even when life gets complicated, trust me that I love you most. Trust me that I'm here for you. Trust me that these commands are good for you. And then you look at Abraham's thing. Seems to counter everything that God has ever shared and yet Abraham still obeyed the voice of his God. And what God was testing is, do you love me more than anything else? It's interesting, Jesus said this, he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. God says, I want to be loved most. I need to be loved most. To be loved with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And I say that, not that we don't get that intellectually, but it's interesting when we have to choose between the two. You hear different examples. There's, uh, there's a lady I know that found out her daughter was struggling with a sin. It's a popular sin today. And the word of God is very clear about the right and wrongness of that sin. It's wrong. The mom loves her daughter. The daughter says, if you don't want to accept this about me, then you have nothing to do with me. It's interesting as the family wrestled with that, dad came down like a ton of bricks and said, what you're doing is wrong. And he was moving in every way trying, or not trying, but moving in every way to destroy the relationship completely. This was wrong. You're doing wrong. You've got to turn from your sin. That's it. And the mom, not wanting to lose the relationship, loved the daughter with both arms as much as she could, and she ignored the sin. Both are wrong responses, aren't they? God says you share the truth in love. You think of your little kid, two, three years old, that's doing something, playing with glass or whatever, and you say, no, don't play with the glass, you're gonna hurt yourself. You love the child, but you say no. What you're doing is wrong, what you're doing is dangerous, what you're doing is unhelpful. And the kid cries, and then you wrap him up in your arms and say, I love you, I just want to protect you. You share the truth in love, but both are important. If you don't share the truth in love, you can destroy the relationship, or you can destroy the priority of God in your life by saying, God, I don't care what you say, I love my daughter more. And that decision is made by people all the time. I know what God says, but I love my daughter more than what God says, and so I'm going to embrace what I know is not right so I don't lose my daughter, and I'm going to ignore the word of God. It's hard when we have to choose. 
And yet God says, I want to be first. I want you to love me more than any other. Your daughter, your spouse, your friends, your neighbors. I need to be first. And it's that heart that I will save. And it's that heart that will follow me. And it's that heart that I will bless. Makes sense intellectually. We get it. We love God most. Some people struggle when it comes to things and time. God, we love you most, but we don't have time for you today or this week or on Sunday morning. We love you the most, but man, we love this activity more or we love this, this thing more. God says, I need to be first. And you hear the justifications and rationalizations all over the place, and you kind of can, in a warped way, see what the mother was doing in this relationship. She didn't want to lose the relationship, but she was afraid to share truth with her love. I got to tell you, moms and dads do this all over the country. They share truth and love with their kids. It's just when their kids get older, life seems to complicate, and we lose sight. So just like Abraham, there are times in our life where God tests Do you love me most? Am I still the most important thing in your life? And these tests are hard, and they gnaw at the heart, or they gnaw at the greed, or they gnaw at the selfishness, or they gnaw at whatever. But God, like like he said to Abraham, when he sees you put him first, even in the hard things, now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld anything. In this case, not even your son from me. And then he turned around and there was a ram and he sacrificed it to the Lord. And then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. I'm going to go back through this again, but I want to pause right there. This blessing of God. Now, I was doing some research on this, and they say you can see about 3,000 stars in the sky. There's way more sand in the beach than that, right? And so since the telescope and stuff like that, they've done some research, and they say that there's 10 to the 25th power of stars in the sky, you know, all the galaxies, all the ones that they've counted so far, or whatever it might be. And then they did some research on the sands of the earth, and they took about 1,000 feet down all over the face of the earth that has loose ground to it, And they, I don't know, estimated, I guess, all the particles. And it was about 10 to the 25th power. And it's just, it was an interesting kind of study. But it just says this, when God was talking about your descendants, it had to be a little bit different. Oh, I'd rather have the sands of the sea, Lord, than the stars of the sky. And what God seemed to be unequal, ultimately, was was very equal indeed, as he says, it's measureless. You'll have so many descendants beyond you. So what God asked Abraham to do was really hard. Do you love me most? And the applications to our life are are present way too often that God asks us the same question. I want to go back here. I just want to focus on Isaac for a second. And I want to give you that Isaac is a type of Christ in this. And although Isaac was 25, 35 years old, could have resisted that at any point during the story, fled from him, run from him, fought him. He was obedient unto the point of going to his grave. What God asked Jesus to do in coming down to this earth to die for us, it's not just the Christmas story where he was born of a baby in a manger. By the way, that stinks. 
you're God Almighty. You're on the right hand of the most powerful entity in the universe, and he asks you to become a baby. Talk about powerlessness. And then not even a nice place like a mansion or, or a castle or something like that, but in a, somebody's garage. And the folks that were poor... He humbled himself in every way and became one of us, obedient to his God, to his Father. And then he knew why he was here. He knew that his whole purpose was to die for mankind. Much like Isaac knew that God's will for him at some level was that he die, though he might rise, raise him from the dead later, like that baby suggested. He knew that what dad's plan was. Knowing the purpose that he came for, he did everything to serve that purpose. He rejected Satan. He loved the people. And he kept walking to the cross one step after the other after the other. They, he allowed them to beat him. He allowed them to mock him. He allowed them to put him on a cross. He allowed them to kill him, knowing that God could raise him from the dead because he understood that that was the purpose of why he came. Jesus says this too. He says, For this reason my Father loves me, that I lay down my life so that I can take it up again. His obedience was his way of loving the Father, of loving God. Jesus says, If you love me, you'll follow my commands or you'll obey my commands. It's obedience that shares our love for our God. And Jesus was willing to do everything and anything to be obedient to his Father. And then when it says, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided, ultimately on that same mountain, Jesus himself gave up his life as the lamb that was slain, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He was sacrificed for all, so that all could be saved. Couple, well, let me go back one more time and then I'll deal with some of these questions. Last run through I want to give you is this the view from the Father. In verse 2, it says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. God gave up his only son. Knowing that he would do this in the future, you got to think that there was reasons those words were put in just that way. It wasn't to hurt Abraham as much as it was to prophesy his love. For us and for his son. He goes further and he says, Now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son. In other translations, it says, Now I know that you love me most. I want you in that for you to see that the reason God sent Jesus is because he loves you more. Just like Abraham loved God more, just like Isaac loved God more allowing themselves to go through the sacrifice, God proves himself willing to give up everything in order to say, I love you more. There is nothing I won't do for you, no sacrifice I won't give, nothing I will stop or withhold from you to save you. I love you more. I love you most. It puts this Christmas thing in a whole different context. It's not just like God was up in heaven and said, oh man, they're not making it. Let me send Jesus down and he'll fix everything and, and it'll be okay. 
He grieved over the state of mankind. He grieved that there was no way for them to heaven except through his son, the perfect sacrifice that had to be paid because sin demands punishment. It demands death. Every sin that we do is rebellion against God. It's hatred towards God, and God will punish unless there's one that will serve our punishment for us. He saw that that was the only way, the only just way. God is good and he is just. And because of that, he demanded justice. Even to the point of giving up his own kid. Even to the point of giving up everything. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life puts a lot of New Testament scriptures in perspective. Think about when Isaac was on the wood, right? And Jesus' word, Father, if it is possible, let this cup be taken from me. <laughs> can you see Isaac say that? Dad, <laughs> if there's any other way, can we look at that one? Jesus says, he, he said that he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I gave up myself for you guys, and you won't put me first? I keep saying that Genesis is such a foundational piece for understanding so much of the New Testament, and part of it is this right here. This is a prophecy in every way of what Jesus will fulfill. And yet, when you start bringing in God and you start bringing in Jesus to this, it starts adding a whole different element to God's love for you, his care for you, the willingness to do anything for you. Jesus' obedience and, and love for you as well, that he would sacrifice everything in obedience to his Father. It's a cool, cool story in every way. And because Abraham was obedient, God reconfirmed his blessing to him. Let me get to some of the questions. Why do you think Sarah thought about the potential, what do you think Sarah thought about the potential sacrifice of Isaac? I know the Bible doesn't have anything to report on this, but this had to be a, had been a difficult thing for her. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm just going to give you my guess here. I'm guessing Abraham didn't share a whole lot about the trip. Um, if he was right, nothing to tell when he got back, right? Um, I don't know. I know it, it's, Scripture says that Sarah was a godly woman. And she is listed in the Hall of Faith, right? In Hebrews 11, as one that had incredible trust in God. So one of two things happened. Either Abraham left and didn't quite share the whole story, and then he got back and shared, and she was like, ah, you know, and, and then wrestled through it and embraced that God had purpose for that. Or Abraham shared with Sarah, and they both agreed that to be obedient to God was the highest priority and best possible thing. That God must have a plan if he was going to ask this. That God must be working for good if he had asked this. That God must still have a way of honoring his promises through Isaac if he asked this. I mean, she was, she was viewed as, a, or described as an incredible woman of faith. And so one of those two things happened. Um, I could see it going either way, but, but that's my, my guess on that. Uh, would Isaac have heard the Lord's voice also when Abraham did? I, I don't think so. I, I think, well, maybe when he says, stay your hand, he might have heard. There's an angel of the Lord that appeared. That would have been probably helpful for Isaac to see this wasn't all dad. I mean, he trusted his dad, and he obviously loved his dad to obedience to the point of death. But, but having an angel come through and, and, and kind of share in a, 
uh, not through the voice of dad. What the purpose of this whole event was was probably incredibly powerful. You look at the rest of Isaac's life, though, and um, you don't know if it messed him up a little bit or not. I don't know, but, but the reality is, um, my guess is that he probably did hear the voice of the angel, for sure. Um, God spoke audibly to Abraham. How do we know when it is God speaking to us today? Faith is hard in this. I will side with Luther mainly on this. Um, if it says it in Scripture, you can hold to it and you can count on it. The, the amazing part about studying Scripture, I'll just give you this. The more you read it, the more consistent you are in this, the more God starts extrapolating the stuff that you're reading and applying it to your life. I think you can count on that. I, I think you can base your life on that. I think you hear God's voice in a sense as you're going through it like that. But God will never, I say never, he will never again ask you to do something that is counter to scripture, I don't think. And so if it counters God's word, you should bear that out and you should test that. God is not gonna ask you to kill somebody. God is not gonna ask you to break one of the commands. God is not gonna ask you to go against his word. And the only caveat I would give to that and this is unless he comes through in a powerful way that there is no doubt that it is God talking to you. He shows himself present. He speaks to you through the, I don't know how you would determine that. But I think the safest bet is to always base it on scripture. And if what he's asking you is counter to scripture, man, you'd have to say no, unless until he would bear that out in a much more substantial way. Um, and I think you're safe there. And I think God would expect us to stand on his word because that's the gift that he's given us. There were times in the Old Testament where he asked him to do some really weird stuff and, and it was always following God. And in this case, I'll give you a, a greater truth and that will help you understand some of scripture. That obedience to the first table, first three commandments, which is love for God, always trumps the second table, which is love for man. Which is this case. When dealt between the two, you love God more. Period. Always. But as your pastor, it, always be obedient to the word. If he's asking you to do something contrary, come to me and we'll start praying about it. But, but please don't ever go against God's word without further evidence, without further support, without further guidance um, in any possible way. I think that's where you see the world gets off in some crazy tangents, right? I don't think some people hear him audibly or, or correctly and some of the things that they blame him for. So stand on God's word. That's what would be my recommendation always. Um, however, when you're studying through his word and God brings a text to you and it applies right to your life, listen to him. If you're listening to a sermon and all of a sudden something I'm saying or something the pastor's saying, all of a sudden it's hitting you like a ton of bricks and you know God is speaking to you right then, write it down and pay attention to it. If you're in a Bible study, same thing happens. Listen to what he's saying and pray about it and think about it and study it and see what it is that he's trying to get across to you in your life. Those are God's gifts to you. If it counters scripture, though, please come talk to me or another solid Christian, right, that can, can point you in a helpful direction on that. All right, if someone taught that God, thought that God told them to sacrifice their son today, would it really be from God since it contradicts what God says? How would you know? 
I would say it contradicts what God says, don't do it. He command, he's condemned child sacrifice over and over and over in scripture. Um, he, con- he condemns, uh, as a result, abortion today in all kinds of different ways. There is no excuse that, I, that God gives us in his word to sacrifice your child ever. Again, Abraham had a different relationship. It was a different time. They didn't have his word to stand on in this, like we do today. Um, if God asks you to do something different, please, again, come talk to me or some other pastor to give you guidance. But my just guess is he's not going to. Um, so again, if it contradicts God's word, just uh, stand on God's word. And, and please understand that he will understand that, and that's why he's given it to us. Um, all right. Picking up from verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven as the sand of the, is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. If you extrapolate this to being obedient to God and having him first, the blessings are similar, but the blessings are in heaven for all of eternity. So Abraham returned to his young men and arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. After this, you have a few family updates in verse 20. You, you got to imagine that upon uh, Sarah having kids, she, he, they probably sent word to her relatives. This was her first kid, I mean, this was something that you would send somebody for, a servant or something else to give them news. If it wasn't that, they might have been a passing caravan that gave them news about some of their family back home. But verse 20 picks up and says, Now, after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has born children to your brother Nahor. Uz is his firstborn. Buzz is his brother. Not very original right there, but anyway. Camille, uh, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hezo, uh, Pildash, a couple others. Um, anyway, Bethuel fathered Rebecca. Usually uh, women wouldn't be listed, but obviously Rebecca was to be the, the wife of Isaac and so was included. These eight, Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, who was, whose name was Ruma, bore Teba and Gehem and Tahash and Makkah. Um, all to point out that this idea of, um, of, of concubines was somewhat of a popular thing because it allowed them to have more and more kids, more and more hands on deck, more and more people they could trust, more and more people that would help them with whatever the endeavor was. It also was following God's command to populate the earth, and at this time still they were adding to a number, you know. So there was no birth control in this day, okay? It, it was, um, not only was, it, was birth control be looked at as sinful and wrong because God's command was to multiply and be fruitful all over the earth, not only would it be stupid because the way that you gained prominence was through your kids and your retirement based on them taking care of you, it just wasn't done today, or back in the day. Um, you can make a case it shouldn't be done today. You can talk with me afterwards if you have questions. But, but the reality is everywhere in Scripture, kids are viewed as blessings unto the Lord. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Anyway, and, and nowhere does he say that, um, that he's wrong and when he blesses kids to couples in different ways. In fact, the only time they, there is any kind of outcry about the number of kids is when they're barren and they can't have any. 
So just a perspective or just to, to share that with you as an aside. Uh, we'll stop there tonight and we'll get into chapter 23 next week. Uh, but let me, let me just pray. <laughs> sort of address the question that was here. Okay. Father, we love you so much. And, you know, as we prepare for Christmas, I think the story of Abraham is really instructive and really helpful for us in understanding how much you love us. We ourselves, we, we can't comprehend getting to a place where we could give up our child for anybody. And sometimes that even means you, Lord. We can't understand the love that would have allowed Abraham to go through the next morning and then follow through and have the knife over his child's head because he loved you more. We struggle with this. We struggle with, with loving you. We struggle with trusting you. And Father, sometimes when there's opportunities for us and we have to choose between you and a relationship or between you and things, we fail even then when the stakes are so not high. And yet, Father, the way you love us helps us understand why you sent us Jesus. We matter to you. We're important to you. You love us most. And so you're willing to give up everything, even your son. Willing to give up everything so that we might be saved. So that we might be with you for eternity. Father, thank you for that love tonight. And with that truth, help us all have a merry, merry Christmas. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said... Amen.